want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of self-indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. Hello, and welcome to this week's Shelf Indulgence, Microbrew Radio's Everything You Want About Books show. Now, this week's a little bit different to the norm because... Um, last week, the book that we were reading, Wendy and I just could not get on with. So rather than reading the second half of it, we've decided to salvage ourselves from that scenario. And we're going to have a bit of fun this week. We're going to uh, talk about reading for fun. We're going to talk about some poems. We're going to talk about what has caught our eye. We're going to talk about what it means to be a microbrew radio shelf indulgence presenter. Um, because, you know, some of you might be sitting at home thinking, well, they keep saying come and help, but they're not really, you're not really sure what it entails. So we can do, we can, we can go into that a little bit. We can talk about that. So that's the kind of plan for the, this week's show. So first off, let's head down to Poetry Corner. Oh, sorry, I'm joined by Wendy, of course. Uh, Wendy's Hi, here. everybody. So it's Wendy and myself this week. And we will be joined next week by at least one more, maybe more. We were waiting to see. I'm, I'm working on things. Right. Um, so first, Wendy, I'd like to treat you to both these. I brought two poems this week to Poetry Corner because both these poems have real personal significance for me. Mm -hmm. First of which is a very, very famous sonnet of Shakespeare's, uh, sonnet 116, um, which I read at my sister's wedding. Now, I was originally asked to read by Mark. She said, God, you were reading. And I said, yeah, I I can do it for you. And the vicar wanted a Bible verse. Well, I, I chose something from the Song of Solomon initially. And I don't know, how well do you know your Bible, Wendy? Um, not terribly well. It's not well, now. The Song of Solomon gets a bit spicy. Oh, okay. It's one of the bluer bits of the good book. Yeah. And and the vicar wasn't very keen on my choice for my reading from the Bible. <laughs> um, and so he rang me. And I rang him and he rang me and I rang him and we back and forth for a while. And, uh, after great, after, well, after a few conversations about Bible and chapter and verse and looking at different bits of the Bible that he thought might be relevant. And I said, well, I don't really feel that means a lot to me, but how about this one? And he went, well, I'm not very keen on that. Um, we actually ended up on settling. On, he rang me on a Sunday afternoon after what I would describe, I would say would be possibly the better part of a bottle of red. He had that, he had that feel of, um, viscosity about him, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, not sure that's probably the correct adjective, but you know what I mean. Oh, it's in languid nature to his, uh, to his dialect. Um, and anyway, um, he he asked me about my background and what I'd done and what I'd studied. And he said, you're obviously educated because, you know, not many people have this many conversations with me about a reading. And I said, well, I, I did, I wrote my dissertation on Shakespeare, actually. And he said, oh, well, what about something from Shakespeare? And we settled on Sonnet 116, which is possibly the most famous of his love poems. So this is the poem. Let me not to the marriage of true minds, admit impediments. Love is not love which 
alters when it's alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Wow. I'm very impressed with that. I've not I've not heard that one before. Often used in weddings, um, because it is um if you don't want a Bible verse, it's kind of a good go to. Yeah. Um and I really enjoy it because of the meaning of the words and you know, this mm. idea of what love is. That the love doesn't true love doesn't give in to age or time. True mm. love doesn't give in to um things that are fickle and movable and it, it's a it's a it's a much bigger firmer solider thing so yeah that that's that's a poem that has a great amount of significance for me because of a being a shakespeare scholar and b being you know having read it at my sister's uh wedding mm. the next poem has an awful lot of personal significance my nan my my nan my mum's mum oh what a woman she was so intelligent but being a daughter at the age that she was she wasn't allowed to go to the to the girl's school mm. no you're gonna go and get a job me girl yeah you're gonna go and bring a wage in and she became a grocer's assistant and she always right to the very end of her life she had a little bit of bitterness about that mm. and i dare say she would have made a fabulous teacher taught me a lot and one of my nuns little known passions in life was writing poetry. Um, not many people knew she did it, not many people ever read them, but I I was lucky enough to to collect um, a few of her poems. And on her 65th birthday, I, I bound them in a, into a book and presented them to her. And then when she died a few years back now, uh, and we were sorting through the bungalow and everything that she had, I found this book and it was jam-packed full of more bits that she'd written. Um, but I'd like to share with you one of my nan's poems that I really wish we'd used at her funeral. But um, one thing or another, decisions were made by family and what was going to be included, what wasn't, and this wasn't. But for me, this poem is called Heaven. Mm. And this is my nan's, this is where my nan is now. Mm. A cottage in the country, with roses round the door, marigolds, pinks and pansies, daisies by the score. A low thatched roof, a picket fence, a little stream runs by. That's my idea of heaven, high up in the sky. Crooked beams, brass ornaments hanging on the wall, flowers in a pretty vase, standing in the hall. Lace curtains at the windows, red carpets on the floor. A cosy little fireplace. I wouldn't ask for more. Isn't that lovely? I love that poem so much, Wendy. Mm. And I can just vision my nan sat there. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's lovely, Jim. Arguing with granddad and having a sherry. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's just that, it's that 
Oh, what an image. And she had a really clever way with words. And I think to myself, oh, if she'd had the opportunity. Yeah, it's so, I mean, that's so common of women of her generation, isn't it? Mm, It is, it is. Now, that was lovely. Thanks for sharing that, Jim. No, thank you for listening. It's, you know, um, I think it's a really beautiful poem, that one. Right. Well, now we've been down to Poetry Corner. Um, let's meander to the delights of reading for fun, reading for pleasure, Wendy. Oh, yes. So tell me, what have you been reading since we last taught? So I've, um, I've read a couple of things. I've been, I've, I've had to do quite a bit of reading, um, for business, uh, this week. Um, and whilst that might sound deadly dull, um, it isn't because I read, I'm very selective about the sort of management books I read. And one of my favourites at the moment is a book called um, Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? And it's written by Ben Hunt Davis and Harriet Beveridge. And Ben Hunt Davis was on the GB rowing team at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. And it was the start of a meteoric rise to rule rowing for the next few Olympics because they went to Sydney expecting nothing. Nobody gave them a chance to to bring back any medals at all. And they came back with a clutch of them um, and a significant number of golds. And this book details what changed in the team during that time. And essentially, it is the title. So when they were starting to think about what they needed as a training regime, they, um, and they, you know, these people have had nutritionists and exercise scientists and all sorts of people. Um, But the manager of the team said, I've got an idea. How about we set goals and we ask ourselves for all the tasks and the things that we're going to do, will it make the boat go faster? And if the answer is yes, we do it. If the answer is no, we don't. Now, I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but Jim, you can't believe if you apply that theory to anything that we do in life, how many people end up doing stuff because they think they ought to, because somebody else wants them to, they never ask the question, will it make my boat go faster? Or for my favourite reason, my fa- and you must say this a lot when you deal with businesses, Wendy. Well, we've always done it that way. Yeah, we've always done it. Oh, God. I had a pound for every time somebody said that to me. You're we've right. We've always done it that way. So for me, although it is a business book and lots of people um, read it and, and um, use it for business, I think it actually should be under modern philosophy because, yeah, it's a profound lesson in life. You know, stop wasting time. Think about what you want and ask yourself the question, is what I'm doing now getting me closer to that goal? And if it isn't, stop doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have had a lot of pleasure reading that this week even though it's my non-fiction book. Well, non-fiction can be very pleasurable. I mean, you know how I feel about non-fiction. Absolutely, absolutely. So what have I been reading for pleasure then, um, from a fiction point of view? Well, I just needed to treat myself after last week. 
<laughs> because it re- re- that book really did my head in. I was really quite cross about it. So I decided to indulge myself, and I've had sitting on my shelf for a while, um, a book called The Word is Murder, and it's by Anthony Horowitz. And it was just a joy, a real joy. Um, quite an unusual book in that um, Anthony Horowitz is obviously a very famous and successful writer. He did, uh, for, he writes for TV as well as writing books. Um, he wrote The uh, Foils War. Um, he's written uh, books um, uh, of Sherlock Holmes stories. So did we, did we read an Anthony Horowitz? Uh, yes, we did. We read Magpie Murders. Magpie Murders. And I've read the follow-up, which is Moonflower Murder yeah. Murders. Um, but this one is really funny because he is his own main character in the book. Oh. So he writes about it as Anthony Horowitz, um, who's written Foil's War and who's done all this other stuff. And he um, he is accosted, he can't put it any other way, by an ex-copper who insists that he's got this really strange case on. And Anthony needs to document it and he needs to publish the story about tracking down what happened with this very strange mystery. And the, the mystery is that a lady goes into an undertaker's and uh, organises her own funeral down to the nth degree, the last detail, and six hours later she's murdered. And so the story is about how he works with this very curmudgeonly ex-detective consultant um, to find out who did it. And it is an absolute belter. I just loved it. I don't think I've ever heard of an author using themselves as their main character. No, no, neither have I. Um, and so it, it, it intrigued me, which is why it sat on my shelf for a while. But because we've been doing other stuff, I haven't got round to it. Well, what a joy it's been just to immerse myself in in that sort of story. It was absolutely yeah. fab. I loved it. And sometimes... Going back to something that's comfortable, something that you know, or an author you know, or, you know, what a comfort. Oh, it is, yeah. Like it's like wrapping back. yourself up in a warm blanket, isn't yeah. it? Or visiting old friends. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been to visit an old friend this week, Wendy. Oh, who have you visited then? I've been to see Max at St Mary's. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm on book two. Right. Which it makes me sad that I'm only on book two of the Chronicles of St Mary's because I think I've got about eight or nine on the shelf because <laughs> I was like I love this and every time mm. I put a Waterstones order in I just sneaked another one on just to get the next one <laughs> but we've been like you know like you say um, we've been that busy with things that mm. I've just not had chance to go back to but oh just so this is um, for those that don't know Max or St Mary's. Um, Jodie Taylor, fantastic author, has written a series of novels called The Chronicles of St Mary's, which are based about time-travelling historians. Or they don't, they don't like the phrase time-travellers. They're not time-travellers. They're historians. They're historians who um, study history in the contemporary. Yes. <laughs> uh. 
Um, so yeah, and it's, I mean, part of it's just really nice and loving because you're back in the arms of characters you know and characters you love and people you, you're familiar with and an author you're familiar with. But also it's a new adventure and there's exciting new things happening. Starts off, it starts, have you read, you read the first one, haven't you? Oh, yes, yeah, we read the first one. We read it on for, uh, in, in the first year, didn't we? I think so, yeah. Well, the, the second one, Wendy, it starts off with one of one of the historians has made it. Historically, this has never happened. And there's this kind of tradition that when you get to your last jump, you go, yes. you get to pick your last jump. Yes, yeah. You get to your last hurrah, you know, where, where all of time, all of history, where do you want to go? What do you want to go and see and witness? Which at this point, I'm just going to pause my description of the book and say, where would you go, Wendy? All of history, all of time, where would you want to go and visit and observe? I think I would be wanting to go back to um, Tudor times. It's a period that's always fascinated me because I think that there were fantastic developments. Civilization was going through fantastic developments during that time. And um, and although there were some terrible things that happened, I think I would love to just observe that period of history, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I love- For me, um, I I could be a little more specific. All right. I would like to visit the globe. Oh, yes, yeah. On the opening night <laughs> of the very first performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Wow. I'd like to go and watch that performance. Mm. That's where I, that's if I could pick any moment, any moment in time, completely self-indulgent, completely self-indulgent in in the most way possible, but to go and witness that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that do me. Yeah. Well, anyway, in in the book, Cal, who has made, made it to her last jump. Yeah. And she's the first historian who's made it to her last jump. She wants to go to Whitechapel. Oh, wow. In 1888. And is that, let me just guess, is that to prevent a murder? No, because they're not allowed to interact. Of course not. It's to observe who it is, isn't it? She wants to go to the 8th of November, 1888, Mm. to Whitechapel, which was the night that Jack committed his last yeah. murder. And then he vanished. Mm. They never caught him. And and actually, one of the greatest mysteries of who is Jack the Ripper is why the bloody hell did he stop? Yeah, why did he stop? Yeah. And in perfect St Mary's style, um, and I don't feel like I'm giving a spoiler here because it's very early in the book, but Jack isn't human. Right. Jack is somewhat eldritch, otherworldly. Mm. And Jack encounters our historians and herds them back to their capsule, to their pod, mm. and gets in it before them without them noticing. And the reason he vanished was he travelled back with them to the present. Oh, my God. <laughs> How fantastic is that? Now, I'm not going to go any further because that would be spoiling. No, and I, that's definitely one I have to read. But just the idea that that's why he vanished. Yeah, 
Absolutely. That's just delicious, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I love Max. She is a real firecracker of a character. Yes, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that is real pleasure for me. It's comfort. I, w- I was torn, actually, because the- I could do exactly the same with another series of books that are waiting to be read on my shelf. I'm sure you can guess which those are. Is it the Rivers of London? River, yeah. yeah. I am a little bit further ahead. I have read the first three or four, I think. However, mm. there's still many more of those to be read on my shelf. Yes, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, oh, it's it's pleasurable to go and indulge yourself and jump back oh, into... Oh, gosh, it so is, yeah. It really oh. is. And I suppose what I'd like listeners to take away from tonight's episode about the fact that we ditched the programme to not continue reading the book that we were reading um, is because, you know, guys, if you're not enjoying something, don't read it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think there's something in the British psyche about reading that if you start a book, you've got to finish it. Mm. And I, I blame, actually, I blame our education system, Wendy. Yes, yeah. Because there's very much, I mean, it's been this way since day dot, hasn't it, really? You can't change your book till you've finished it. Yes, yeah. That's one of the first things you're taught about reading. You can't change your book until you've finished it. Yeah. And what nonsense. Why do we teach children that? I suppose, really, it is we are teaching them about, you know, tenacity and and all of that jazz. But I do think, I think that people will develop a liking for the genre, that they, you know, they'll gravitate towards a type of book, won't they? And you are unlikely, if you've got a favourite genre, you're unlikely not to finish a book within that genre. You might not like it, but you're going to finish it. I think it's when you crush genres that you can struggle because, uh, as I say, for me, that book last last week was just, that was yeah, a step yeah, too far. I think as early readers, when when young minds are being shaped by us as teachers, mm. as adults, to be taught that you've got to finish a book, I think is a bit stiff. No, I'd agree. I'd and absolutely agree. I think there are... I'll go further than I think. I know for a fact that there are adults I know who have told me that the reason they can't read or the reason they don't read is because of that scarred by the experience of being forced to read at school. Mm, mm. I know that in my work as a private tutor that I've got students that come to me in year 10 or 11 and the parents say to me, they're reading. What have you done? And I've said, well, I told them to find something they'd like. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is real rocket science, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> not, not something you've been told to read, not mm-hmm. something that you've been made to read, but find a book you think you might like, pick it up and try it. And you know what? Give it, I mean, give it a chance, give it a fair crack. But if 10 pages in you think this is tripe, find something else. Mm. And... We're all different. We all experience reading and books differently. But if, if you're going to read something, it should be for a purpose. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And either that purpose should be instructional, educational, or enjoyment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes people aren't kind to themselves when it comes to reading. They think, oh, I've got to finish this. I've got to get to the end. I've started it, so I must finish. Or people feel intimidated by by certain books, by certain size of books, by certain authors, or they feel they ought to be reading a certain thing. And actually, just try things. And, and, I, and there's no excuse, because all of us can access a library, and you can get books for free. It's one of the very few things in this life that you can still get for free. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true, isn't it? You know, that... I remember seeing uh, on Facebook one of these memes where it said something like public libraries are one of the few spaces where you can go and not be expected to spend. Yeah, yeah, that is true, isn't it? That is absolutely true. And so to go and choose whatever you fancy and give it a try and then go, no, not for me, and put it down and pick something else, fantastic. And I just think, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but more of us should read. I just think people don't always appreciate the level of escapism that reading can give you. And in the in the world that we live in, Jim, everything is. You could be believed. You, you could be forgiven for believing that everything is dire. Everything is dreadful. We're going to hell in a handcart, and it can be quite a pressured way to live nowadays. And for me, the the readers are the ones that really get to to experience escapism from all of that, because you can sink yourself into another world, another time, um, another you know different genres. Um, there, there's just there's no limit to where you can go and what you can do, um, and there is something very freeing mentally about that. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I was I was thinking about this today, about why I think I've enjoyed doing the show so much um, since we started it. And it is because I'm just naturally curious about books mm. and about the worlds that they um, describe and and about the, you know, the things that they open you up to. Um, and it's been an absolute joy to come and talk books with other people who are passionate about it. Yeah. Um, and the more we can infect people with that, um, with that desire to read, hmm. then even if we've only done that for one person who's listened, then, then our job's done, isn't it? I, I just, I just, <laughs> I just stumbled across a little, pun in French in my own head because mm. you were saying you know, infect people with and I was like a joy de livre <laughs> <laughs> sorry terrible terrible making puns in French really shouldn't um, but yeah uh, and I, oh, I agree completely to to go and to to escape the world by visiting other worlds by exploring different yeah. places by allowing yourself to be, to be moved by somebody's words mm. and whether you sit and read poetry or non-fiction or fiction whatever it is mm. it doesn't have to be fiction there are some amazing true stories oh absolutely 
Well, the one that you've been reading about, okay, somebody's built a fictional story about it, but if ever you wanted a, mis- a murder mystery, I mean, Jack the Ripper right. has got to be at the top of the list, hasn't he? Well, he is possibly, well, I think there'll be a big, bold gesture, man, but he's got to be one of the longest standing unsolved crimes, hasn't it? Oh, sure. yeah, I would have thought so, definitely. Perhaps are, you know, maybe some paleontologists might come up with some older ones, but, <laughs> you know, in terms of our recorded history, it's got to be Yeah, one definitely. One. Well, definitely. maybe the Princess and the Tower is older. Although we've all got a fairly good idea about what happened there, haven't we? Exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd like to talk briefly a bit more with you, Andy, about what it means to be a shelf-indulgent presenter. What has what has becoming part of this show done for us? And, and what does it entail to be one of us? You know, I mean, there's there's yourself and myself are our show's regular contributors yeah yeah um but outside of that uh emily johnny sean jocelyn abby um have all um contributed at different points elaine my sister elaine, your sister has been on matt um did his yes matt. matt, matt's been on and joined us j-man local authors yeah like Kim and Jim and other names that don't rhyme. Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Trisha. We've had, you know, th- there's, there's been a, mm. you know, a, a good deal of people involved with the show. Um, and not all by appearing vocally as part of the show. Mm. You know, in a way... Granny is very much a part of well, the show. She's part of the show. We'll, we'll have to try and get her on for a guest appearance. But no, she, I mean, she's an avid reader. She listens to the show on a regular basis. So, um, but yes, yeah, she does contribute, doesn't she, in terms of what she's been reading? So thinking about that, if if you were to recommend to someone about why they might choose to join in, what what how what would you, what would that look like? What would that sound like? I I think um, for me it's about picking a book. If you've got a book that you absolutely love, or one that you absolutely don't like, and you're very clear about the reasons you don't like it, then if you are um, if you're an avid reader, you'll want to be able to talk about that with somebody. Because what you realise is that readers are not, It's. I think they're a real sort of oddity. Reading itself can be uh, an isolated task. It's an isolated hobby. Because mm. you're sitting in the corner and you've got a book and you're lost in that world. So you're on your own. But the thing that I find about readers is you can't shut them up. If they found a good book or a good story or they love an author, they just want to tell everybody about it. So there's a real dichotomy that goes on. And and I think that what we are looking for are some of those readers who absolutely love to talk about the effect that a book has had on them, what it's made them think, how it's made them feel. You know, have they made links to other things? What lessons have they learned from it? You know, why are they mad about it? You just want to talk about it because that's what readers do. 
Um, and we do that all the time. But it would yeah. be great to get some fresh blood in um, to to be able to to do that with other passionate readers, really, Jim. Yeah, and I think the the key thing there is you you might look at Wendy and myself and think, God, these guys are reading book a week or a book a fortnight and they talk every week for an hour about books and and that oh, it feels like a lot of work but that's really not compulsory in the slightest because we've got other presenters and contributors who pop in and do a bit here or a bit there and you know some of them haven't been on for a while because they've got busy periods of their lives and that's fine they can go and do that and you don't need to be a regular contributor. You don't even need to be a repeat contributor. You might just want to come and talk about one book and then never come back on. And that's okay. We'd love to have a broader conversation. Yes, absolutely. That's a lovely way of putting it. Um and and we're gonna you know, as part of the show, we're gonna we're going to look at other ways that we can reach out into the community of readers that Burton has. But you know, if you are listening to the show and you think to yourself, oh, I don't, I don't, mm, I don't think I could. Do you know what? If you could sit and chat over a coffee about a book, you could do what we do. No, that's absolutely true. Because there's zero planning goes in. I say there's zero planning. We choose a book. <laughs> yeah. We choose a few books a few months in advance, don't yeah. we? Other than that, we rock up and we just chat. Yeah, this is true. It's not like we have a big conversation about how the show's going to go or what the nature of the conversation is going to be or how we discuss it. We just turn up and chat about books. Yeah. So it's very, very easy to dip in and contribute a bit. And really yeah. informal, isn't it? And, yeah. and we don't, um, we encourage people to say what they think about books as well. It's yeah. not like. You know, we, we're not reviewing books and every book has to have a really good review. And we we talk about them as we find them. And there have been occasions when we've disagreed quite oh, strongly about books. Quite strongly. And I that's mean, fine. You and I have very different takes on The Wasp Factory by Ian Banks. Oh, yes, definitely. And I can't stand Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still, you know, it is my mission one day, I am going to get, you know, angels and demons on our list. <laughs> I stand no chance with the Da Vinci Code. I recognise that. That ship sailed. But I still have high hopes for angels and demons. You can get it on the list, by all means, but I'm not reading it a second time. I'll just work from memory. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and, and, you know, that, but that's the thing. You, oh, We don't want people to agree with us either. No. It's not about being highbrow. It's not about being academic. It's not about having any amount of education. It's about just chatting books. That's what we do. Um, anyway, that aside, um, I'd like to uh, briefly visit what has Granny read, um, and that is mainly Ellie Griffiths. Right. Is she going through her whole body of work? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, and when she's, yeah, she, she just wants to get to the point where she can start the next mm. one, the, the one that's coming out soon, which is on pre-order. Um, so 
what's caught your eye this week, Wendy? What's 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 well, got your interest in the world of books and literature? So I I leave um reviews on, on when when we've when we've done um when we've read books, I will always go on to Goodreads and leave a review. I'm glad you do because I don't. Yeah, well, I do. And um, I'm a bit of a nerd like that. And I'm all for I'm 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 follow-up. I, I had to go and leave a review about last week's book. Um, I'll give you a clue. It wasn't very favourable. Um, but as I was scrolling through and having a look at what all my contacts are reading, um, I came across a strange book. And I thought, oh, I've never heard of that before. So I, I found it. Um, I went and off and had a look for it, and I found it. And I'm just going to read you the um, the cover notes. Um, All appearances are empty, so says Lama Reason. The reincarnated Buddhist monk come freelance detective of 49 Buddhas. A quirky, philosophical, Dharma-inspired murder mystery by author Jim Ringle. It's a lesson Reason claims to have mastered during the many lifetimes he has searched for the sacred Dorji, a relic from the monk's past. Reason has delayed his own enlightenment for the sake of helping other beings achieve enlightenment first. To accomplish this, he must find the Dorji. At the moment he lays his hands on it, all suffering will end and all beings will be enlightened. Ooh, um, I just, I well, it's it's in my basket. I have to have it. So um, that caught my eye. Forty nine Buddhas. He's not an author. I've come across. I've never heard the book. If I'm honest, I've never seen it in a bookshop before. Um, but the reviews are actually really, really good. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to give that a crack. So that's what I've done. Well, how about you? What's caught your eye this week? Well, I'm going to start off by repeating about a book I mentioned last week. Okay. Because it's arrived, and I'm quite excited. So this is Pirates by Captain... Oh, yes. Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson. Um, This book has been in print since 1724. That's quite a feat, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Presumably it, they've updated it, though. Have they added to it as, as that? No, it's, on? it's got a new foreword. All right. Uh, and it's been edited slightly, but generally it's the same book. Okay. Uh, it's, its full title is A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. Right. What a title. And it's um, it's bi- it's a biography. It's, well, it's several biographies. Uh, g- generally accepted, the captain Charles Johnson is actually a pen name for a writer publisher of London. Um, but yeah, it's it's written in seventeen twenty four about pirates who were pirates then, right? Um, who were fairly contemporary. But the one, what what is what I think fascinates me most about this book is it's essentially the source for everything we know about pirates. Mm. It's the first mention of the Jolly Roger mm-hmm. as a crossbones design. 
it's the first documented example of that. It's the first documented example of lots of the details that then, you know, authors that have written about pirates have gone to this book as their source for what were pirates. Mm. So to a degree, as a as an amateur historian, as someone who, 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 you know, likes to dabble in studying history, this is a questionable primary source. Yeah. Because it's from the time, it's from the right time, it was written at the right time. But how much artistic license was taken in its writing to sell copy? Yeah, yeah. But I just love the idea that everything we know about pirates, essentially, especially in modern pop culture of pirates, is essentially derived from this book and this version of what pirates are. Mm. And there's lots, there's lots we know about pirates that are, you know, you can assume is fairly true and, you know, like gold teeth and wearing lots of jewellery. It yeah. wasn't wasn't just for swag and bling it was you know banks didn't exist so where am I going to keep my wealth well on my face is a fairly good place because I'll notice everyone tries to nick it um even if even if I am captured and stripped of all my wealth they might not notice the gold tooth and if I need to buy myself out of a pickle I've got some gold you know it's all these wonderful things that pirates do and oh I'm really looking forward to having some time to delve into that well they've just done a series on tv about the history oh, of pirates. Oh, yes and and he's a you know he's real yes yeah so uh, are you talking about our flag means death yes yeah i think yes. um well there's been a couple of things on there there's one that was the history of pirates there's then our flag means death and then there was another one which talked about the Pirates Federation. And it was it actually started off in the West Indies. Yeah, so the as, Pirates became almost their own nation. Yes, yes. And it uh, they, they were taking a political stand because of the way in which the Royal India Trading Company was treating what was essentially merchant sailors. And, um, and so, yes... There's there's a lot of stuff that's been on about it, and I do I do think it's one of those romantic periods of history, isn't it? Um, it that is. although it was a vicious and brutal time, um, it was also you know adventure on the high seas. What's not to like? So Steed Bonnet, who is the captain in Our Flag Means Death, is a real character from history, mm. and by all extent, by all intents although this is a fictional com- comical interpretation of what happened it is quite true uh sea mm-hmm. bonnet was a pirate who was a wealthy aristocratical type of you know he had money he had wealth he had he had a happy family he wasn't happy in his family though and he says bugger off to sea and he did and he was quite an awful pirate um, he actually sailed with Blackbeard, mm. um, sailed under Blackbeard for quite a while. And uh, in part of Blackbeard's demise, uh, Steve Bonnet kind of ended up taking over and everyone went, yeah, you're rubbish, mate, and left him. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so there's pirates. But also, uh, to to go back to one of our 
personal favourites that we've read in the past six or 12 months. Uh, Stuart McBride has a new book out, Wendy. Oh, well, that's definitely going to be on both of our lists, isn't it? Oh, I love Stuart McBride. It's Tartan Noir as its very finest, ladies yes, and gents. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's Ash. I think it's a. I think it might be a new detective constable. I'm not oh, sure. Why? I, haven't, I haven't read a lot about it, but it's called it's called The Dead of Winter, mm-hmm. and the cover uh, has a really nice picture of a uh, police Land Rover, proper like Land Rover ninety. A proper Land Rover, delving into like depths of snow and things like that. And, but yeah, um, I think the fact that it's it's Stuart McBride and Stuart McBride. Why? Well, you know, one of the things I really love about Stuart McBride is how fantastical it is. Mm. Because as much as it's you know it's not a fantasy book, I. How on earth his protagonists are still alive after the beatings he puts them through? I mean, absolutely, they've got to be made of some real stern stuff. I mean, I, I know I've got lots of Scottish family, and they all claim to be hard as nails, but these guys have got to be hard as some really yeah. hard nails. Yeah, absolutely. To live through the beatings and bloodiness that they live through, but yeah, I do. I do love Stuart Bryan, and that one is definitely going to be on my list. Well, ladies and gents, our time is wending towards a close. Um, and it's been a real pleasure tonight to just have a general chit chat about books, about things that we enjoy. And, and I hope that if you've listened and if you've, um, encountered our, our episode tonight, that you might take a little bit of thought and consider maybe joining us for an episode. Maybe not straight away, maybe in the future, but, you know, just join the conversation, get in touch. You can reach us via Twitter. There's a Shelf Indulgence Twitter. You can reach us via Facebook. There's a Shelf Indulgence Facebook. That you can reach us via um email, uh, definitely jim at shelfindulgence.uk is still functional and working so you can reach us that way um if you're really struggling and you can't get in touch with any of those ways contact the radio station microbrew radio and matt and tom and jayman will put you in touch with us yeah please do we'd love to hear from you worst case scenario if you are in the burton area and you've failed every other way of getting in touch has in some way failed Walk in the doors of the brew house and say, I want to get in touch with Microbrew Radio. And the ladies at the brew house, ladies and gents at the brew house, will know how to get in touch with Matt and Tom and J-Man. And they'll be able to help you get in touch with us. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have we certainly would. visitors who just come for one show or one show a year or whatever you want to contribute. There is no... No requirements. There is no le- entry level. It's just come and join us to chat books. Sounds now, brilliant. Next week is a very special day, isn't it, Wendy? It is. We're celebrating. It's going to be World Book Day. And we're going to try and get as many people along as possible um, to join in the conversation and tell us what books mean to them, what books are about, what books bring them, what books 
R4 for them. Because we've heard tonight what books are for us too. But we want to put those questions to more people. We want to, we want to find out what, what others feel about books and want about books and what authors they like and ev- anything. But yeah, Definitely. That, all that, things books. No, oh, more books, please. In fact, the ideal dream job would be professional reader, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. Do you think that's a thing? It is, but I mean, we make very good amateurs, Jim. You have to say. (laughs) I know. However, if someone was willing to pay me, you know. (laughs) No, that sounds absolutely great. So I'm going to look forward to next week's show. So, ladies and gents, I hope you've enjoyed our languid meander through tonight's episode of literature and that you will join us next week for world book day celebration and until then madame amis here good reading yeah happy reading everybody see you next week This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.